That message that you just got is one of the most important messages you can get, is that we serve a living God. And we don't serve a God who died and stayed dead. We serve a God who died and defeated, defeated death. And that's how we know that Jesus is worth following. That's how we know he is who he says he is. Uh, we had a pretty epic night tonight. I had so much fun watching you guys up here on the stage, answering your questions, seeing all the things that you guys have learned, and uh, truly the gift of intelligence that God has given to each one of you, and, and I praise him for that. Um, will you guys do me a favor? The staff here at Hume Lake is next level. Like, they put on these incredible skits. Give it up for them. They have put a lot of work and a lot of love into this week. Uh, how about the Trove? Have you enjoyed worshiping with the Trove? Give it up for them. They've, they've brought it this week. It's been such an honor to worship with them. There's another set of people that I want to I acknowledge. Because without them, all of the work that gets put in doesn't matter much. And so if you're here and you're a teacher, or you're a parent, or you're an administrator, or you're a sister, will you stand up for me real quick? Yeah. Give it up for the, give it up for your, your peeps. They, uh, not if you have a sister. <laughs> Listen, those people who just stood up, they, they gave up their time to come up here. They, they hid in bug-infested tarps, they, they got hit with frisbees and dodgeballs. Uh, they have had some of the latest nights that they've had since New Year's probably. And they did it all for you. And so give it up for them one more time. Your teachers. <laughs> I want to acknowledge one other person. Uh, Where's the little dude that I pegged in the forehead with a dodgeball last night? No, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. He like, he like fell on the floor and started convulsing. Yeah, what's your name? Gino? Sorry, buddy. I didn't even see you. I didn't even see you. He flew. I hit him in the forehead. And now that's forever something I'll have to live with. So thank you. <laughs> I literally wrote in my notes, uh, talk about the kid I dotted in the head with the dodgeball. <laughs> you guys, last night, last night was an incredible night for me. Uh, I told you there's no greater privilege that I have than sharing that message with you, the, the gospel, the good news that, that Jesus came to save us from our sin, that he died on the cross and, and that he paid the penalty for our sins that we couldn't pay for ourselves. But not just that, but that he didn't stay dead, that three days later he rose again, proving to be exactly who he says he is. And uh, we get to celebrate last night. I hope you've been celebrating it all day. We have new life in Christ among us, and so give it up for that. We're celebrating that. We have, we have those of you who stood up to refocus your life on Christ, who, who maybe you came up the mountain and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the most important thing about you was that you follow Jesus, but as you get up here, God's doing incredible things, and he reminds you that he's the way, the truth, and the life. 
and that, and that he's worth devoting your life to. And so we celebrate that. We celebrate all of you who stood. And I recognize that there are some of you in here that are still in process. Some of you in here that, that have yet to put your faith in Jesus. And, and I know that there are things that make that difficult. It's not just for some people, that's not a decision that you make on a whim. For some people, family dynamics make it hard. Right? You, you have some family that don't follow Jesus, and they may not understand if you do. Maybe some of you are from a, a Christian school, but not from a Christian home. Maybe you come up here, and it's because you're a part of the school, but you really came for the fun. And my hope for you is that if that's you, if I'm talking about you now, my hope is that you keep processing the life and teachings of Jesus. This week was all about truth. It's not about opinion. It's not about things we hope are true. It's about things that have been documented, things that have been proven, things that have been without, have been, I'm trying to figure out a junior high way to say this, things that, that are, are, are not questioned. And, and so we, we look at the resurrection. Again, the Apostle Paul says that if the resurrection didn't happen, then all of our Christian faith is in blame or is in vain. But over 2,000 years, nobody has proven any other reason why the body wasn't in the tomb. My hope is that as we dive in, even tonight, that the Lord will work on your heart. That will, he will show you above all what matters is truth. So as we get ready to dive in uh, this, this evening, will you pray with me? Father, we are so delighted with what you've done here this week. Lord, it's been fun. Lord, you have called new followers. Lord, you have redirected some and you have reminded all of us of your truth. So Lord, we pray that even though we're on our last night here, Lord, you continue to do incredible things in the hearts of all of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a, a kid, uh, younger than you, my family had a, a 1980s station wagon. It was, uh, it was light blue. Uh, yeah, did you have one? No, were you born in the 80s? You like the 80s? Were you born then? No. You just love the 80s. I love the 80s too. Great music. So, so we had this 1980s station wagon. And um, this, the cool thing about a station wagon is if, you, if, if any of you uh, teachers or parents or, or big sisters in here had one, uh, the, all the seats face forward except for two in the back. And, uh, and the two in the back face backwards. And sometimes, like as a treat, my parents would let us sit in the, in the back of those seats. And, and we'd be able to, like, facing backwards as my parents drove forwards. It was really a cool thing. But most of the time, it was like, just hurry up and get in the car. We don't have time to flip open the seats. We got stuff in the trunk. And so you sit in the normal seats. And as, like, a, a four- and five-year-old, I remember sitting in the, the back seat, in, in, like, my car seat. And I don't know if you did this, but I would pretend that I was driving, like, I, I would sit there, and I would, I would steer, and I'd, like, push the, the fake pedal. And you know what? I never got in an accident. I was amazing. I was the best driver ever at five years old. Thank you. Appreciate that. 
As I got older, I, I longed to, to get my license. I wanted to, to get my license to experience the freedom that came from, from having your own car and being. Do any of you guys relate? Are you guys looking forward to getting your license? Yeah. Yeah, you just have to wait like four years. But, but it's coming, it's gonna come fast. I remember uh, I was 15 and a half and I, I got my learner's permit. And for the first time, my dad helped me figure out what drive, like, like I was like, I'm a pro dad, I've been driving since I was five. And he's like, well, how about we actually go out on the road? And so we go out on the road and, and we start to, to practice and learn and, and, you know, I start to figure out what this driving thing's all about. And then I turned 16. The day I turned 16, we had called. We, we, you have to get an appointment. So we called and we got an appointment at the DMV. And, and I was like, I'm going to get my license today. Today is the day. And you know what? I, I showed up to the DMV. I was shaking like that dog in the first, uh, the first little skit that we had. I was, I was shaking. I was nervous. And it was like this, uh, this five-foot-two uh, driving instructor that was um, doing the test. And I was so scared of her. Uh, she was really short and, and not scary at all. But I was just scared that she could flunk me and that, that I wasn't going to get my license. For a long time, I had wanted to, to, to get my license. But, you know, the, the amazing thing is I got in my car that day, checked all my mirrors. Don't forget to check your mirrors. And I started driving. And I missed one point on my driver's test. And so that day, I remember I pulled into the parking lot, went inside, they printed out my temporary driver's license. And so I went home that day, I put my driver's license in a drawer, locked it, and never used it again. Does that make sense? Would you do that? No. Because the day that you get your driver's license is the beginning. It's not the end. It's not the stopping point. It's the beginning. It's, it's the day where you finally get to be like, Mom, I'm heading out. And she's like, where are you going? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> like you get all of this freedom that comes when you get, finally get your driver's license. And the same is true of our Christian faith. The, the day that we put our trust in Jesus is not the end. See, there are far too many Christians out there who, who have prayed a prayer and, and have con said the words that, that seem like it, it, it may, means that they're following Jesus, and then they just return to their old life. They're like, I've checked the box, and now I get to go on living my life. There's too many, too many professing believers of Jesus that, that are out there just, just living this way. Like someday back in Awana, they said the prayer, and now they don't have to worry about Jesus anymore. They can just live the way they want to. See, my life was never the same after I got my driver's license. And our lives should, be the, should, should never be the same after we follow Jesus. But Jesus knows that this is not a, an easy journey that we're on. It's, if you think that following Jesus is all uh, about the ease of life, you're wrong. Following Jesus, Jesus says in this life you will have trials of many kinds. He, he promised, one of the promises of Jesus is that life will be hard. But here's the beauty. In order to help us on this journey... Jesus gives his followers all a gift. 
This, this evening, we're going to be in John 14. If you have your Bibles, open up to John 14. And then do me a favor. As you're opening up to John 14, open up to Galatians 5. Just stick your finger in there. We're going to be moving from uh, John 14 and 15 over to Galatians 5. As you're turning to John 14, though, I want to remind you of what we've been talking about this week. We, we talked about God's truth. We talked about the truth of man, that, that we are sinners. And we talked about how one of the major reasons why we sin, one of the, the root causes of sin is living separate from God. Is living life the way we want to live. Is living life the way we feel is best. And, and when we do that, we live in the flesh. When we do that, we live outside of what God is calling us to do. And I think as we enter into John 14, I think that's on Jesus' mind as he shares these final words with his disciples. Remember, he's, he's getting ready. He's gearing up to go to the cross, and yet he reminds them of what life will be like after he leaves. He reminds them of what he's going to do as he ascends into heaven. John 14, starting in verse 16, it says, I will ask, Jesus is, is talking, he, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the, the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. He says, Jesus says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the Father to send, send the Spirit in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the Father to, to, to bring the Spirit. And, and, and as, as he does, he's gonna give you this helper that he may be with you forever, that he might be in you, as he says later in, in, in verse 17. He abides with you. Jesus goes on in, in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. See, Jesus says, it's better that I go because when I go, I will send someone that's, that's more important to you in this part of life. So Jesus came, he accomplished what he had set out to accomplish. And he says, I will send a helper that, that now will be with you forever. See, the, the physical Jesus, he came and he was, he was robed in humanity. So remember we, we talked about how he was fully God and fully man, but, but in his humanity, there were certain things that he certain things that, that he was limited by his humanity. So was he fully God? Yes. Was he fully human? Yes. Could he be in all places at all times? No. And yet he says, I'm going to send a helper, this Holy Spirit that now can be in all places at all times. This Holy Spirit that can now dwell inside of the believer and and in Christ, when we embrace the gospel, this is what happens. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, to the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He says that the Holy Spirit does a couple things. The Holy Spirit gives you security and assurance. What that means is that once you put your faith in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit secures your salvation. There is nothing you can do to lose that salvation because there was nothing that you did to earn it in the first place. That the Holy Spirit seals your salvation, but he also gives you an assurance. Because through the Holy Spirit, we start to do things called bearing fruit. And so we get assurance of our inheritance. See, if you are in Christ, you are fully forgiven. You are fully accepted. You're fully known and you, known and you are fully loved. The Holy Spirit is always with us. Now, there are times in life where we, we feel like God isn't close to us. There are times in life where we feel like, man, it, God, do you even exist? There are times in life where we struggle to feel close to him. But even in those times, he is with us. There are also incredible times where we feel close to him, where we, we feel like he's with us every second of the day, where, where we feel inspired by him and loved by him and, 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 and uh, encouraged by him. And in those times, he's, he's with us. When we're doing well spiritually, he's with us. When we're struggling spiritually, he's with us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That means the very Spirit of God lives and dwells in you. That means no matter how hard life is right now, maybe you're going through a trial that is the, the hardest thing you've ever gone through. Maybe you're going through a hard time that maybe a middle schooler should never have to go, to go through. What that means is that if you are in Christ, that, that God is with you in that. That he is carrying you. That he is loving you. That he is he's doing the things in your life that you need. That he's bringing people around you, even up here at Hume Lake, who can love you and walk with you. The role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the follower of Jesus, um, Jesus is going to say has two parts. There's more, but Jesus is specifically going to talk about two roles that the Holy Spirit has. First, he's going to say that the, the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of our sin. John 16, 8 through 11 says, And he, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. He says the Holy Spirit's role is to convict. That means prior to coming to faith in Jesus, as you start to realize that you're a sinner, that's the Holy Spirit at work. 
The Holy Spirit calls people into salvation. The Holy Spirit points out their sin. It works the same way in the life of a believer that as you start to start to stray away from God, that's the Holy Spirit kind of just tapping you on the shoulder going, hey, no, 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 that's not, that's not God's will for your life. God wants more for you than that. And that's the second thing that Jesus talks about. In, in verses 13 through 15 of John 16, um, he says that the Holy Spirit's role is to guide. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit guides followers of Jesus. It's, it's the part of the, the discipleship process that we go through. The hope is that, that the, the follower of Jesus in junior high that you are is not the follower of Jesus that you are when you're in college or when you're an adult. That, that by God's grace... The Holy Spirit starts to work in your life, starts, to, starts to, to grow you, starts to put you in circumstances where you start to see spiritual growth, where you're, you're, you're diving into God's word and you're spending time praying and, and you're, you're growing. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's role in your life to guide you to be more and more like Jesus. And in John 15, Jesus tells his disciples what this Holy Spirit is going to do to help them in their lives as they follow Jesus. And it's the same for us. John 15, verses 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. For I'm the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me... And I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus paints this incredible picture, this intimate picture. Have you ever seen a grapevine? Anybody? You guys grow grapes in your house? Anybody in your backyards? No? But you've, you've seen a grapevine. Okay. So here's the cool thing about a grapevine. They're, they're, they're likely actually walking through a, an orchard. They're walking through a vineyard. And, and they, they look at these, these vines that are growing and, and Jesus looks at him and he says, oh, you're kind of like that. You're, you're like the branches. And I'm the vine. And, and what's amazing about that picture is if you go out into the vineyard and you cut off the branches and then you sit for a year and wait, are they going to bear any fruit? Why? Because they don't have, they don't have nutrients. It, it's the, the roots that... that feed up to the vine that then feed out to the branches. What Jesus is saying is that any fruit that you're going to, that you're going to produce, is, is, it comes from a, an abiding, a connectedness to Jesus. That the, the Holy Spirit in, in work, working in your life is the reason for any good thing you do. That without him, you cannot do anything. And walking with Jesus is just that. It's a, it's a life of learning how to abide in him. Jesus uses this illustration, and, and he just reminds us that, that we need to stay connected to him. 
that we need to walk with him. But it also gives us a little freedom. Have you ever experienced a, a grapevine that produces fruit year-round? Like always. It's just always producing fruit. Never goes dormant, never, never has a, a season where, where it's not producing fruit. I've never seen one. I've never seen a, I've never seen a Christian that's always producing fruit. That would be tiring. But what happens with vines is they, they have seasons where they produce fruit, and then they have dormant seasons. And in those dormant seasons, the seasons when they're not producing fruit, what they actually do is the roots grow down deeper. And they, they, they start to, to suck up more water, and they prepare themselves through a, a restful season for the fruit that, that they're going to be producing in the next season. And so the freedom is that we don't always have to be producing fruit. We always have to be preparing. We always have to be digging our roots down deeper. We have to be spending time in God's word for what he calls us to. There are going to be seasons where you feel close to God, and there are going to be seasons when you feel like he's distant. But the feeling doesn't indicate, doesn't show whether or not he is close or not. Have you ever wondered what the purpose of humanity is? Maybe that's a question you haven't started asking yet, but John Piper, he's one of my favorite pastors, he, uh, he says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Say that one more time. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him together. So how do we glorify God? How do we, how do we glorify God? John 15, 8, he says, my father is glorified by this. Well, we're, we're trying to answer the question, how do we glorify God? Let's see what Jesus says, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Paul talks about this. In greater detail, I told you we're going to flip over to Galatians 5. Flip over to Galatians 5. We're going to walk through what Paul means by, or what Jesus means by bearing much fruit. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The, the word for walk there, it, it doesn't really matter. It's the word in Greek, but... But what it means is to walk about with. To not just walk by the Spirit, but, but to walk about with the Spirit. To, as you are going, as you're living your life for Christ, to, to walk with the Spirit. The, the tense is present, which just means that, that it's an ongoing thing. There's no, there's no assumption that you're ever going to finish the walking with the Spirit. There's no, there's no goal of ending an end time when you, don't have to, you have to no longer walk with the Spirit. And so Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. It's, it, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not something to complete. It's something to pursue. It's an ongoing process. In verse 17, he says, for the flesh... Sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Here, 
Here's what I want you to know. I, I did the whole driver's license illustration up front to, to kind of get us into this conversation. Because there are two things we do when we embrace the gospel. Two ways to embrace the gospel. First, we embrace the gospel at a point in time. That's what happened last night in the lives of some of our, our friends here. We, we've done, that's what happened in, in all of our lives for those of us who are, are following Jesus. At a point in time, we put our faith in Jesus but we also embrace the gospel over time. When we're walking with him, that the, the work of the spirit would be constantly washing the gospel over us. When we recognize that, that we're walking alone, it's the spirit reminding us to walk in the spirit. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So in the flesh, when we're walking in the flesh, and do you know what I mean by, by walking in the flesh? It's, it's when we're doing what we want to do, when we're living the way we want to, to live. In the flesh, we have this, this sin nature. When we're, when we're giving in to our sin nature, that's what it means to walk in the flesh. And, and when we walk in the flesh, we don't think of God, we don't pursue God, we don't walk with God. There's an ongoing battle in the Christian life. It's, it's a battle between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. It's like uh, tug of war. You ever played tug of war? It's, it's like one, one side is the, the flesh and the other side is the spirit and both sides are pulling. It's a tension that we have to manage in our lives. And, and the more that we walk in the spirit, the less that we'll walk in the flesh. And walking in the flesh is the thing that dishonors God. We cannot, we cannot honor God in the flesh. We can only honor God through the Spirit. So how do you know which powers at work in your life? Well, it happens moment by moment. There are moments where I recognize that I'm not walking in the Spirit. That I have to go, you know what, God... I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Help me to walk in your spirit. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He just starts to list things, things that are wrong, lying and hitting your brother. And what I love about this verse is he ends it, that, that part of the passage with, and things like these. Like, it, it, just things like these, things that are, are wrong, things that are morally wrong, things that go against what God wants for our lives. And he says, we shouldn't do such things. We shouldn't practice these things. We shouldn't live like this. We shouldn't have a lifestyle that, that represents these things. Now, you can't lose your salvation. The Bible is very clear. Jesus says that, uh, that no one can snatch you out of his hand. Once you have faith in Jesus, your salvation is not anything that can be taken away from you. So, so we, can have, we can have security in our salvation, but you can think you have faith 
and have never had it. That's a very true and real thing. That happens sometimes at camps, right? We come up to camp, we come up the mountain, we have this incredible camp high, we, we, we experience Jesus and, and we just, we, we want, we want, we were with our friends and they're all standing up here worshiping with the trove and, and we're just being taken away by this incredible worship and we have these camp highs and, and we make this yearly decision. But then we go back down the mountain and there's, there's no life change. Nothing's different. But John tells us, we just talked about it, that by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's a proving. We don't do anything to earn our salvation, but we do things that prove our salvation. There's, an, there's a proving, not an earning. So something has to happen. Lives have to change. When we notice the, the deeds of the flesh, we have to repent. We have to we have to ask God to, to bring us back into the spirit. But, but what about the fruit of the spirit? How do we know that we have this fruit, this fruit in our lives? What does it look like for us to, to have fruit? Well, Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit. Paul talks about the things that you can look for, the, the ways you can know that you're a, a follower of Jesus, things that, that aren't of you. I was a very selfish person before I met Christ. And I consider myself a selfless person now, but not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit in me. Here's what Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Very good. You guys, this is the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's the things that, that are produced in our life, not because of our own good works, but because of the Spirit that dwells inside of us, the Holy Spirit of God. And we have to be grateful. We have to notice that Spirit. We have to see it and embrace it and embrace the ongoing work of the gospel. He goes on in verses 24 and 25. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. He says, since we live by the Spirit, it's, it's assumed. If we're followers of Jesus, we live by the Spirit. We, we walk by the Spirit. So he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us Walk with the Spirit. Let us bring into alignment with the Spirit. Let us line our lives up with what God wants to bring ourselves into alignment, to bring ourselves under, underneath the submission of his word. That We allow God and his word to be the authority in our lives. So how do we walk by the Spirit? Verse 16, we remember that we're never alone. So we do life with him. When you're in that test in school, you just go, God, help me to concentrate. When you're having a rough day, you just say, God, help me to get through this. When you're having a good day, there's things to celebrate. You say, God, thank you. Because we're constantly doing 
life with God. The Bible says that we should pray without ceasing. That's what this means, is that we would do life and we would just, we would just want God to be a part of every single part of life that we live. You're out on the baseball field. You want God to be there. Playing basketball, you want God to be there. No matter what you're doing, that, that you bring God into it. And verse 25 is that we would remember that he's given us his word to know and to understand what God's design for life is. The same spirit of God that inspired the text is the, the same spirit that illuminates the text in our heart and shows us what he wants us to see. This whole series, as it comes to an end, this, this whole series has been about truth. That God, by his grace, has, has revealed his truth through his creation, through his word, and through his son, and that as followers of Jesus, we, we ought to pursue that truth in our daily lives. That, that that truth ought to be the thing that guides us, that leads us, that, that draws us, that we want to be a part of our lives. And so as we wrap up, I want to I invite you into a few means of grace, things that God has given us to help us. First, I want to invite you into practices that, that will help you open your heart to the Spirit. I want to invite you into to practices, regular Bible intake. Look, I am not a legalist. I'm not going to tell you you need to read your Bible every day for 30 minutes, and if you don't finish the chapter, you need to extend it to 45 minutes. I'm not that, I'm not that pastor. But what I will tell you is that there is something rich and something incredible about spending regular time in the Word of God. It, it's not... It's not something we do because we have to. It's something that we do even when we don't have to. Nobody's going to sit and make you read your Bible. Well, maybe your teachers are, but, but nobody's going to sit and make you read your Bible. It's, it's a change of perspective where we, we look at it and we go, man, I don't have to read my Bible. I get to. There are so many countries around the world where that is not possible. But here it is, the Word of God. And the second practice is, is honest prayer. I think prayer is something that is overwhelming for a lot of us, right? If we don't know what to say or we don't know how to pray, we, we get intimidated and we don't want to do it. But the cool thing about prayer is it's not a place to be perfect. It's a place to be honest. God already knows everything you're thinking. God already knows everything that you're doing. God already knows what's going on in your life. He just wants the intimate relationship with you to where you feel comfortable sharing that with him. So I want to invite you into honest prayer. And then finally, I want you to be able to walk out this messy process of life with God. If you've been told that the goal is to, to come to faith in Jesus and then be perfect, you're wrong. You've been, you've been fed wrong information. See, the life of a believer is more like a roller coaster than it is a straight line. It's not, it's not our job to be perfect. It's our job to repent. It's not our job to, to obey Jesus perfectly. It's our job to strive to obey Jesus perfectly. And when we don't, it's our job to remember that he offers us grace, that we turn to him. 
And just like a lot of you did up here, we refocus our lives. And God's given us his word, his spirit, his people, and his church to help us walk out this messy life together. We don't have to do it alone. If you're not a part of a, of a Bible teaching church, I want to encourage you, talk to your parents. If you can't talk to your parents, talk to your teachers. Find some way. If you can't get to a church, find something online. There's so many things that you can do to find a good Bible teaching church where you can, can worship with people, and you can walk with people, and you can be loved by people. And be open to the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit wants to do in your life. He's going to guide you. He's going to convict you. But he's never going to leave you. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time up at camp. Lord, I know you've done so much up here. And I just thank you for the opportunity to come and serve these students and share your word. I just pray as they go down the mountain, Lord, that this would be something that's lasting for them. Lord, that they would go down remembering who you are and what you did up here at camp. Father, that they would go down changed. That they would go down with new life and new focus. And Lord, that they would live in step with your spirit that convicts and guides, that gives us gifts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.